how a non-traditional path to technology can lead to successful outcomes. My next guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering is HubSpot's global go-to-market strategy ecosystem leader, Barrett King. And he joins us to share with our listeners not only his mission and the vital importance of his role at HubSpot, but all the other amazing work he's doing to nurture our partner-led growth and ecosystem-led growth strategies for organizations like yours. I hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion as much as I enjoyed welcoming Barrett King. This is the Ultimate Guide to Partnering, the top partnership podcast. In this podcast, Vince Minzione, a proven partner sales executive, shares his mission to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. And now your host, Vince Minzione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host. And today, I welcome Barrett King. Barrett. I'm just beyond pumped to be here, and I love your energy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. I am so excited to welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I recently got to be a guest on your amazing show, Outcomes, which, by the way, I love that name. To me, it's all about outcomes. And I love the work that you're doing about our shared passion on partnerships and successful outcomes and partnerships. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm fired up to have a conversation. Excited to get into it with you. And I think what you're doing is truly unique and special as well. So I'm glad to, to join the conversation. I feel equally about the work that you're doing. So you have a very senior role at HubSpot, which is an organization that I have admired from the outside looking in. You're the global go-to-market strategy ecosystem leader. And we featured your colleague, Kelly Sarabin, as a guest here on the podcast. But for our listeners who may not know you and your role, can you tell us a little bit more about that, your role and mission at HubSpot? Absolutely. So let's go HubSpot first. HubSpot, to lay the stage, is a platform company with a CRM that stacks on marketing, sales, customer service, and a website solution to that, that tool set. I've been here for the better part of eight years in and around the partner ecosystem, uh, which is an eternity. For those of you that are thinking that is a long time, it is a very long time. And for the last year of that, that timeline, I've been fortunate to be responsible for how we think about acquisition and how we think about going up market with partners of tomorrow. And so my core responsibility is specifically to look at who are the right partners for us to continue to engage with? How do they align to the things that we're trying to do as an organization, helping millions of companies to grow better, both from a product perspective and then certainly from a go-to-market lens in terms of how we co-sell together, how we co-service together, how we deliver as much value as possible to our end customer. And so a lot of my time is spent cross-functionally with marketing and sales, with product, certainly with my own team members in the partner community, trying to figure out who those partners are, how we engage them, and how to make them successful. You know, finding a partnership is sort of step one, but how do we onboard? How do we set them up to you know, long-term deliver value both to our customer and certainly ROI for themselves as well? So as, as you describe that, I think about the broad reach of ecosystem, right? And I think about all the different types of partners. You and I were having a conversation a little bit earlier. When I think about HubSpot and MarTech, I, I tend to lean towards agencies, but that's only one yep. component, right? The long tail. And HubSpot has been incredibly successful there, by the way, checkbox. But also, you, you're probably looking at some of the other partnership relationships, some of the more strategics, uh, ISV to ISV, maybe even large strategic to HubSpot. I'm not quite sure, but tell us more about that. 
Yeah, I think what we did and have done has been very interesting in terms of a journey. Obviously, folks around the community have have seen what we've been able to develop and execute over the last, gosh, it's been like 17, 18 years now the company's been around. Yeah, our ecosystem started out through, and I'll shout out Pete Caputa here. He's the brilliant mind behind this. Yeah, uh, And I'll tell the story my way. He would laugh and say it's not how it happened. But as I understand it, or maybe perhaps believe it to be, he was observing that some of our most successful customers were working with marketing agencies. And so through that observation, he engaged with those folks and found that what they were doing was packaging, pricing, selling our software as a part of their, as a VAR solution, as a part of their platform to help a company grow. So yes, we'll help you with your email marketing, but you're going to use HubSpot as the platform, the system of record, if you will, for us to do that work. What's been interesting about the journey is that as we evolve to go from, we are an only a marketing platform to we have these sales tools and then a CRM to service solution to help services obviously deliver better value to, you know, obviously the CMS and the website solution being a part of it. Now operations are, are more of our RevOps tactical platform on top of that. Each of those evolutions in our product required us to think differently around how to enable our partners to grow with us. And so for a long tail part of that timeline, our partners came along for the journey exclusively, only those partners. So they were you know, SMB and mid-market and, and lower enterprise size marketing agencies and sales agencies, really SIs to some extent, that evolved alongside HubSpot. And as you continue to evolve that, that ecosystem and grow the business, you do see the diversification across the way that we go to market with other organizations. So you, know, you mentioned Kelly was on. Kelly does a lot of work with our you know, application partners, our app partners. So we think differently around you know, who are, I think, and really what are the other solutions that add value to our, our customer base. And we build a mechanism there. That's Kelly's world. Well, certainly, we think about the upmarket in terms of what are the other types of organizations that are working with the customers we want to engage with tomorrow. Yeah. And conversely, the customers that are engaging with us that are larger than our, our kind of historical ICP you know, those customers are bringing their own partners to the table as well. So there's this thing that's happening as we evolve our business and how we deliver value to our customer base that we see different types of organizations wanting to work with us. And so I think kind of the land, the plane in the story, fundamentally what we've done is keep our ears turned on to what the customer needs. And I think, you know, when folks ask me things like, how do I build a partner program and go back to like sort of square one, I always start off with, well, what are your customers missing that you need to go and deliver right now? Is it software support? Is it you know, go to market support. Is it in our case, it was delivering the the tactical solution itself, both in terms of moving somebody onto the platform, your more traditional SI mechanism, but also the ongoing thing, if you will, I'm doing bunny ears, but the thing that you would do with our tool, which is email marketing or blog production, content production overall. And so the marriage of those two intersections, both in terms of what we could deliver in value and what these third parties can deliver in value to our customer became this nice little triangle of value, as I always kind of describe it. Customer comes to us, works with a partner, gets more value. Customer goes to partner, finds HubSpot through that relationship, gets more value. And so the more we can build that flywheel, that mechanism, obviously more effective we are at achieving our mission. Yeah. And I and as you're speaking about this, I'm thinking about CRM as, a, as an example of this, right? Because that wasn't the original intent of the platform, but yet it has become a significant part of the business. And now you're in new markets, right? You're, let's say, competing with a Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics, and there are partners surrounding those ecosystems or platforms as well that become natural extensions of the HubSpot partner ecosystem. I think that's part of what you don't hear. That's the less glamorous part of growing ecosystem because you're, yeah. as your own product go-to-market changes and you look to tap into new 
certainly revenue streams. Like I, I want to be transparent about that. You know, we're a software company. We're trying to grow our, our revenue, but also I think as a product of that, it's important to remember our core mission, which is help millions of organizations grow better. And so as we diversify product to solve more customer problems, the businesses that help us solve those problems, they themselves diversify. And so to your point, if you're listening to the customer base and the customers that are coming from, you know, specifically CRMs, so you've got Dynamics, you've got, you know, Salesforce, you've got others. When they're moving from those platforms or even exploring that move, they're typically saying, and we're working with X or Y business. They're the ones that helped us think about this, or they're the ones that have always helped us with our technology solution, architecture, whatever it is. Those companies become the next frontier in terms of how do we work with folks tomorrow to ensure, again, ultimate goal, our end customer successful. And at the same time, helping to develop the partners that have been with us throughout this journey, being intentional around developing content and enablement and you know, certainly training and certifications to ensure that the customers and the businesses that have already partnered together, our existing partner ecosystem, that are already close to the problem and have already worked through it, have an opportunity to come together with the new solution, whatever we've built at that point, and also go to market effectively alongside us. It's a fascinating case study. You mentioned Bikabudo. I, yeah. I mean, he's he's an amazing. I, I think what he did was, and you you described it right in terms of how HubSpot got it right early, right, going after that that Martech market, and then this evolution. Like, I I wonder now as you're discussing this with me, like, why are, are is it is it inbound that's creating the need for the client relationship management solution, or do clients come in that way as well, and they're not maybe Martech organizations. I think it's both. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a part of what happens when you go to, you know, the, the world, if you will, and you say like, Hey, we have a CRM, but what you've already done, I'll, I'll sort of, you know, tutor on horn here, but like, you've already built a great marketing platform and people understand that you've got what I think is world-class technology around marketing. They pay attention. And I think as a product of that attention that you receive, if you're not careful, you could very easily, well, frankly, kind of screw it up, right? You could say, we want to go head to head with Salesforce. We don't want to go head to head with Salesforce. It doesn't make sense. There's no reason no. to. They do what they do very well. They have an exceptional product. We solve for a different market segment. Everyone's aware right. of that. Yep. So what we have to really nail is, well, how do you take a CRM that you know is still evolving and growing to meet customer needs? And how do you ensure that both the you know initial go-to-market success is present? How do we go and put a message out there that is aligned to the right customer base, but also the other end of the spectrum, which is now that we've got this messaging in the market, how do we ensure that that it's being serviced properly, that it's being delivered properly, that we are kind of finishing the swing on our commitment in that sense? And I think that's where the turn your ear on moment comes from. I do think some of it's inbound, like you are going to see in, in you know, companies that, that change their messaging when they've got reach like we do, you do see an influx of interest to understand what that next thing is for us. So obviously it was CRM. Um, you know, the other end of the spectrum is like when we think about what partners then pay attention. I mean, I, I could say anecdotal, but I'm sure if any of uh, your audience works at you know a Salesforce partner, works at a Microsoft partner, works at any other platforms partner, you're going to hear the same thing that we have heard from our end, which is like, there's this other tool that helps my customer. I'm going to go explore it. Yeah. And so I think naturally it's the inbound mechanism. And then it's just the general interest that the customer base brings to those other ecosystems around exploring you know different solutions. I'm so excited to announce our continued partnership with AG1. Many of you know I made taking a green drink supplement, part of my health ritual for over 21 years now, and it has made all the difference to my health and well-being. Over six years ago, I found Athletic Greens, and now their product, AG1, became my go-to supplement. 
AG1 is the first thing I take every morning to power my day. It covers all of my nutritional bases, supports my gut health, gives a boost to my immunity and energy levels. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. Check it out. So I want to dive into your background a little bit. You and I had had a previous conversation about not have not having the traditional path to a technology I, yeah, certainly leadership yeah. role, right? Yeah. So I thought it'd be fun to spend a little time here on your personal journey, Barrett. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you the the quickest version possible. But I so I um I'll date myself. I'm 38. I went to school in the kind of mid to late 2000s. Graduated yep. um, high school in 2003. Found my way to a state school for a little period of time. Totally bored out of my mind. Ended up at an art school in Florida. Super interested in the work that we were doing. And I have a, a digital arts and design bachelor's degree which basically means like I made pretty cool, awesome shit. And then I graduated college and said, what do I do with my life? Yep. And it's 2008 and the market crashed. And so I ended up actually going into restaurants because it was frankly the only thing I could do. And I was super interested in the idea of like that level of customer service, that level of really frontline customer engagement. I, that's what I would describe it as now. Then it was like, this is a cool job. It's in the city. You know, I'd moved back home after college. Like, what do I want to do with my life kind of moment? And I spent, uh, I think it was about two years in the space. I was also volunteering at my high school to give back a little bit in the media department and just help. And then at night I was working with a fashion photographer because I wanted to just do the work that I enjoyed, which was like photo editing and layouts. And I was building magazines and it was just an interesting time. Um, And then I was burned out because restaurants are delightful and wonderful, but an incredibly grueling career choice. And I knew that it wasn't forever. I um, left the industry and went into technology for a brief period of time. And then 2010 happened and everyone got laid off again. So I got laid off and found my way back into restaurants, did that for a few more years, opened a few restaurants around Boston, just really enjoyed that time in my life. It was very exciting. It was fun, but gosh, what a grind. It was a lot. And so this is, um, gosh, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, I got out of restaurants full stop. Like I just, I literally walked in one day, I was a GM of a spot, um, general manager of a restaurant and just said, I can't do this anymore to the owner. I'm, I'm done. I'll give you my notice. I'm going to go figure out what's next in my life. Met who's now one of my best friends a couple of weeks later. He introduced me to a guy who had a tech firm that was uh, selling to restaurants. They were Google backed and he wanted somebody to come be his yeah. sales guy, quote unquote. Yeah. And what's interesting is up until this point, anything that I had done, you know, had always been specific to people. It had always been about relationship development and sales to some extent. And so when I joined this startup, I could tell the story of sales and I can tell the story of having restaurant background and it was exactly what they needed at the time. I was it was a lightning moment, like right place, right time, and it struck. But when I look back in hindsight, what I realized is I was actually developing partnerships because when I was in restaurants, I was a hospitality manager. I was going out to the local businesses, to Fidelity, to whoever else was in the area, and developing these partnerships in terms of, well, you're going to run all of your events through us. We're going to do all of your nice. catering. We're going to run all your holiday parties. And through that I was, and I look back now I can say this, but I was cultivating partnerships, but I didn't call it that because it was just business development. And then it kept going. And when I got into this next, this first, you know, real tech opportunity in terms of the startup, then I was literally developing partnerships because I was going to initially one-off restaurant operator locations and trying to sell this tool that we had built. It was unique. It was interesting. It was a category creator and it was well-received, but it wasn't working at the volume we needed to. 
So I changed my go-to-market and I said, I'm going to go look for large multi-unit restaurant groups, or I'm going to look for organizations that partner with those folks. And what I ended up doing is working with the, initially the Massachusetts Restaurant Association. And then from there, I parlayed that into the National Restaurant Association, which meant I was building partnerships to say, let us be your premier solution for the specific thing we did for restaurants. And both of them said, yes, that increased our distribution significantly. And I had not at the time realized, again, I was building partnerships. Yeah. So to land the plane, I joined HubSpot about eight years ago. I was building a book of partners in the beginning and did very well, very quick at a time when we were sort of figuring things out as we redesigned the program and was asked to be our first set of sales training and super fortunate to go and own partner sales training for a couple of years. I got to build out a program to help other folks joining the business, learn how to partner with organizations, super introspective, really interesting time in my life. I got to travel a bunch and learn a ton about just frankly, how to work with other businesses. And from there, it went. Uh, I sort of jumped back into the, the sales side of it, managing some of our top partner accounts and helped to build a few of HubSpot's top partners over the next four and a half years. And again, it was interesting because I parlayed my training and development experience back into how do I help partners grow, spent a bunch of time doing that. And then in the last couple of years, moved over to our corporate team and took the lens of partner to that group, helping to figure out how do we go up market with partners. And now again, for the last year, building actual go-to-market strategy. And so to sort of coalesce all of this into one statement, what I think about when I describe my weird, kind of wacky, wandering career is that, you know, throughout my timeline, I was adding Lego bricks to my Lego mat. So I think about the mat is like that green Lego mat that we all have yep. when we were kids and we built our house on or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, that green Lego mat is like when you graduate college. That was like the last bit of primary education, whatever that is, like your, you know, your associates or your, your doctorate. And then you might have a couple Legos on there. You might have a few bricks if maybe you had a focus. I was a, you know, math major, or I was a lawyer, or I, whatever you wanted to be. And some folks take those bricks and they keep putting the same color, the same shape, and they make their stack very, very tall. And they're very happy with that. I was the opposite. I covered my mat in every type of Lego I could get my hands on. And I never organized it. It was just this pile of bricks. And what I learned as I got older and I got further in my career is I could actually start to reorganize those bricks and stack them in a way that would let me go and stand on top of them. And so now I think about it as having a pyramid. And what I can do is draw from those different brick colors and shapes, those different experiences to bring together into conversations and into moments where I need to solve a problem, all of that context, that background, those experiences to a place where I don't know how this like kind of disarray of, of bricks, but I have a bit of a tower and it's more of a pyramid and that's okay. Cause I've got some range, a little bit of depth and width across it. And so when folks ask me, how did I get here? I sort of laugh generally and, and genuinely and say like, I don't know, I just solve problems. And that's what I enjoy doing. But at its core, it's always been about relationships with people and developing that dynamic that I now know as partnerships. Yeah. I, I think about your your stack of bricks and I go, okay, there was some there's some core DNA there around partnerships, right? There's yeah. something about your background, your like where where your passion. I feel like we have a shared passion here on this and it, it propelled me in this direction as well. And then the as you laid the bricks, that DNA had had helped really assemble where they stood, right? You didn't go straight up a stack like the you weren't an attorney, you weren't an accountant, follow up that. exactly. The people that do those jobs for 30 or 40 years, like I don't know how they do that, right? I no. I love having all these different experiences and then bringing it all together and that's what you've done, right? You've ta- but you've taken some co- you've built some core muscle that you've taken probably from each job to the next, each role to the next, and that core muscle is strengthened over time. And that's what you're you're sharing that that shared experience and that core muscle now in what you're doing is the way I I read it. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think being conscious of that is the most important part. You know, it's really easy to go and say, I did this, 
as a moment in time. But the more you can take, you know, the thread of what took place and pull it forward, the yep. more interconnected the whole thing becomes. Yep. And that muscle keeps getting stronger and stronger. It's it's there. Exactly. Right? Yep. So we have this shared mission, right? And uh, I love what you're doing on the podcast. Tell our listeners a little bit more about your podcast because I want them to listen and we're going to put a link to it in our show notes. Well, it's great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So the show, uh, it's called Outcomes and it is about conversations with operators that have been there and done the work and have a story to tell about it. You know, what I did is I, you know, frankly, I, I selfishly wanted to have conversations with really smart people like yourself, right? That's why you're on the show. Thank and you. I want to learn from I'm them. Up. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I realized the further I got down these conversations in the beginning, the more I realized that I could help others by sharing that as well. And so I've really focused on easy to consume, super tactical outcomes, like the show is called, uh, from operators that have a bit of a context, a, a story, a background to share. And it's it's short. It's meant to be ten minutes or less uh, in terms of the clip. Most episodes that I record tend to be between seventeen and twenty two minutes in total, and it's cut into two pieces. So when you're running yeah. between meetings or picking up the kids or waiting for your show to start, like you can take seven to ten minutes and you can listen to an episode and get something to take away with it. I love it, and I love the fact that it's bite size. And the uh, idea. Keep yeah. it simple. I don't, I mean, look, I don't have an hour. I wish I had an hour to sit down and listen to something and learn. I don't, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm busy with work. I've got hobbies. I've got a thousand things going on. My friends always laugh and say, I don't know how you do all of that. And I still fit in a little bit of time to learn. And I do that through micro content as I describe it. So I want to sit in that niche and help people very quickly and tactically learn something. And I want to do the same here. We're going to do it in a little bit longer format, obviously. I try to keep it under 30 minutes. But you know, we it. have, as Ultimate Guide to Partnering, I believe there's a set of principles around what makes successful partnering. And I'd love to hear from you. If there are a set of principles that you follow or things that you believe are, aren't taught to people out there about what makes successful partnerships. I think it's people first. You know, it's really easy in business to get focused on KPIs and on, you know, all your goals and your revenue. And it, I just, I like to start off and keep it really simple and say, we're two people yeah. all trying to make a living. Maybe we have a family or friendships or otherwise. What are the human parts of this that, that really anchor in what we're doing this for? I do think ROI is important. I do make it about an outcome, uh, not to repeat the show title, but it really is about an outcome in that sense. And what I mean is like, you know, your, your earliest conversations with this prospect, this potential partner you know, should be about why are we doing this? Yeah. You know, what does, what does the investment look like? Certainly. And, and, but like, what's the, the goal that we have in terms of how you as a business choosing to work with me are going to win and vice versa? How am I going to win as well? I think the third piece is like, have something specific, not just in terms of a goal, but that, that's measurable. And it might feel obvious, but I've talked to a lot of partnership folks in my last couple of years in the business. Yeah. And everyone always talks about, it's, it's like usually like, how do we sell more, right? Like, well, that's great. I get that you want to go and sell more, but it can be more than that. Well, how do we go to market together and change the world? And you're like, well, let's keep it really distilled down and simple. Um, I think measurable is the best way to describe that yeah. in terms of having some sort of a core KPI. And then the other thing is just, re, you know, building some sort of a cadence into conversation. So like, how do you want to be communicated with? What's the best way to, to establish a, a dialogue with somebody? Because, you know, there's... Um, I had uh, Blake Williams onto my show is a very long time ago, one of my earliest guests. And he made a comment about, you know, your best partners own your customer's trust. You get an opportunity to borrow that trust, mm. add something to it and deliver it back to them through those partners. And I just remember sitting there hearing him going, wow, man, that's, that's so smart. That's powerful. That is super yeah. powerful. I appreciate that, that comment. And, and I think anchoring in, you know, the value is the most important. So I talked about that value triangle earlier of like who we are, who are the businesses adding value to our customer? 
and how do we work with those folks to create this kind of momentum? HubSpot calls it a flywheel in, in the business itself. I think with the partners themselves, it comes back to shared value, shared outcomes, shared experience, and creating a mechanism to deliver that in a cyclical way and continue to try and grow that opportunity. That's the best foundational way to build a program. Yeah. I love what you have to say here about shared, shared vision and values. Super, super important. Like, why are we here together? Like, what are we trying to solve for? What's the better together? And you, you know, you talked about KPIs and I like to apply OKRs. John Doerr talked about uh, OKRs. He applied them to Google. Google started, and now everybody's using OKRs, but specifically like when we get together, when we have that cadence that you talked about, like, are we, are we taking a look at what we're trying to do and aspirationally, what are we trying to do? Right. So maybe on a marketing side or a branding side, it's like, how do we show up together in the market? Like, what's that going to look like? Is that going to be like our two leaders up on stage together talking about a shared vision for success for our, our, our common customers, or is it just going to be some KPIs around marketing? Uh, specifically, right? I think it's what matters to the customer. You know, like a lot of what I hear folks talk about is what's in it for me. Obviously, naturally, we're human beings. I think if you can focus each of those dialogues on what's in it for the customer, you're doing the right thing. You're asking the right question. Anchoring in, you know, we talked about performance over time too. It's really easy to focus on 100 feet, right? 100 feet down the road, what's in front of you. I think for me, at least, it's why you hear QBR a lot. You hear these like kind of bigger perspective conversations. I think having a you know, daily, weekly, monthly focus is valuable. I think having a quarterly check-in is important. I think having a yearly and multi-year intent is probably the most valuable component of a true long tail value partnership. I am so with you on this. The three, you know, at least three years out, like what's the vision for the future? Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to ask the opposite or the inverse of this question, right? So we talked about what makes successful partnerships. What about the partnerships that have failed that you've seen fail? Like, was there a kryptonite that got in the way of those partnerships? Yeah, I, this is probably the easiest one for me to answer because it it's one of the more common themes that comes up. So I, I had a, um, we'll just call this person a leader of a partner program. I'll just keep it super, super neutral. I had somebody recently say to me, when I think about kicking off like this next stage of growth, one of the things I really care about is that our partners drive as much revenue as possible. Mm. So I sort of smiled and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and what are you doing for that revenue? And they were like, oh, we're just going to, we're going to help them grow their business. I was like, oh, you're going to have like a consulting arm of the organization. And they were like, no, 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 no. They're going to use our software to grow. I was like, are they like, you're just looking for them to sell your software. You yeah. really think about that. The me statements, the obvious is an early sign of problem. That's sort of like the, um, shakiness in the relationship. The all about me components, they're going to do this for me, even just the way you talk about it. In fact, Jill Rowley was on on my show at one point and we talked about language and the impact of specific word choice. When you talk about the dynamic you're establishing with a potential and then obviously a partner once they work with you and how often, and I would describe this agnostically, but you know, SaaS organizations, for example, that work with partners typically want some sort of an output from that relationship. And what they need to focus on is the first piece, which is by working with us, the SaaS organization, these partners gain X, Y, or Z value. And if you can look at that and draw a correlation between the investments those partners make with you and the outputs of that resulting value, then you win. So then let's take the opposite of that. That I think is the kryptonite. I think when you hear organizations talk about me, 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 and they don't build the infrastructure, the education, the sharing that's necessary to enable those partners to win alongside. It's really easy to do the like the kind of churn and burn thing you see a lot of companies do. They come in hot, sign a bunch of partnerships, and then those partners don't get true fundamental value beyond maybe the first six to nine to 12 months, and they churn out. And then two years later, when they burn through thousands of partners, 
that organization says, well, what are we doing wrong? It's like, well, you made it all about you. And you didn't That's give right. away education. You didn't spend time helping those companies or listening to them or caring about them. That's the other side of this equation that I think ultimately, when you can anchor in, you avoid that pitfall, that kryptonite moment. I think about co-selling in that respect, yep. right? When 100%. you make it about truly co-selling as a part, and this, and I'm going back to like the old channel models too, and I think about this, like we're going to lob off a little piece of our business and we're going to give it to a partner or a group of partners to go after. Like we're going to give them New Zealand and Australia and let them make hay there because we don't have, we don't want to even focus there and then hope they do something like sell for us. Yeah. And I think about that mentality, that mindset that you described that can apply geographically. It could apply to just in general about the approach you have to partners. I, I love what you have to say there. So I love asking this question and sort of, uh, it's a way to get at like what makes you tick and who you admire, but, um, you're hosting a dinner party, Barrett, and you can host this party anywhere in the world. And we discuss locations in a while here, but you can invite any three guests to this amazing dinner party from the present or the past. Whom would you invite and why? Hmm. Well, I have to invite you because I think ultimately you're going to provide a really awesome perspective on hyperscaler and, and all of that. If we talk about partnerships, right? I could say I would invite someone like, you know, uh, even Darmesh, he always comes to mind when people ask me a question like this. Darmesh was the co-founder CTO of HubSpot. Brilliant, brilliant human being, really smart in terms of how he built HubSpot's technology stack. I like him from an investment perspective. I think he's got something interesting to say there. Um, you know, if we're talking purely professional, I would go a different route. If we're talking about the most entertaining and interesting conversation possible, I think then it starts to open up the aperture quite a bit more. I would probably bring in like an actor or actress, somebody like, um, you know, maybe like Leonardo DiCaprio, if I wanted to go with somebody like kind of funky and interesting and, and maybe a little bit weird or like Glenn Close, who's had an incredible career and a longevity to her. Yeah. Um, I could go the other end of the spectrum and say like someone like Elon Musk, because he's got a real fascinating way of thinking about, you know, certainly anything technology centric, um, could go controversial and say like Joe Rogan, who's got like probably one of the most, I think it is still the number one podcast in the world and has such a plethora of like interesting guests that have joined. Um, I think for me, you know, when I think about that dinner party, you're going to laugh perhaps, but I go to the food first. Like I'm sitting here saying, where are we? Like, hopefully we're on a mountaintop overlooking a valley with like really, really good, you know, high quality wine around the table and some incredible craft cocktails. It's funny, I don't drink anymore either, but I just, I think about that as like a poor part of it with food that was been, you know, curated by somebody who like took the, the kind of mindfulness of building something from scratch. They planted a, you know, head of lettuce and they cultivated it and they grew it. I think what for me to really anchor in your question, what matters is good conversation with good people and good food to fuel that dialogue. And so mm-hmm. I could bring people from past, present, and future to that in a variety of, of lenses to curate the most interesting conversation possible, but it anchors in you know, where the experience happens and how we consume you know, that, that entire kind of front-to-end, back-to-back timeline. I'm all in. You said I'm invited. So I'm, I'm, yep. sit- I'm sitting here on the top of the mountain. I'm thinking to myself, we were either in Napa Yep, maybe, we could do Napa. maybe we're in some Napa, Sonoma, or maybe we're like in Italy or the south of France. Like I, could I see went Italy beef. first. Yeah, Italy yeah. was my first choice in my head. I pictured something. Yeah, there's like some grapevines growing over the top of the trellis that we're sitting under. Oh, or it's yeah. an old like wrought iron table. It's very natural. Yeah. 
I'm, the same I'm ready to go back. In let's fact, we're, ha- we're having that conversation. So let's plan it. Deal. And uh, I also have not been drinking. I gave up drinking. I haven't shared this on the podcast. So I'm probably going to share this for the first time, but I gave up drinking almost a year ago. I'm at a year, actually. I think um, I think July is a year. I go back and forth with my wife. I think July August is a year. August yep. for me. Yep. Yeah. Um, I just, um, it's funny. I, we won't have to spend time on this, but I, I have a young kiddo. He's, uh, he's four and a half. My wife and I have had an interesting last couple of years kind of pre and through pandemic times. And what we realized one day was that didn't really love how we were feeling. And it was just started with like, let's do, I think I said, I'm going to do two weeks. And she was like, you know, sure. She didn't really drink a lot, but it was just a part of, you know, for everyone, I think through COVID, but just part of our, our lifestyle. And then, um, a week, two, three, a month, two months, we started to work on our we had um, a really great gym regimen. We have a, a fitness that we kind of center, if you will, that we've built in our basement. So we've got a space nice. there. Um, and then we looked at what we were eating, started to improve that. And I'll tell you, I'm, um, for those of you who can see me right now, I was 25 and a half pounds heavier in November of last year. Wow. Which is wild. I had no wow. idea I had that much weight on me. And yeah. And so I feel better than I ever have. I'm sharper. Yeah. It's why I can talk about going to Italy. I wouldn't even consume the cocktails. I might have a sip of wine just for the principle of being there but it's the food and conversation it would drive through. It would be hard not to at least have a sip or two. Yeah, I'm going to have a little bit. Just have a, a sip or two. Yep. Yep. And we could talk about all the amazing non-alcoholic beverages out there as well, but that there we could go. save that. Maybe we'll have another episode where we just talk about food. Yeah, and our journey. We'll do food and beverage and all I that. There we go. I love it. I love what you... You've been an amazing guest, Barrett. I really love what you have to say about partnerships. I just think as an overall human being and the work that you're doing, it's just delighted to get to know you a little bit better. So as we wind down the conversation today, and this has been a year where we've seen a lot of headwinds, right? We talked about COVID kind of accelerated a lot of things going on in the tech sector. And then the last year or so, like these economic headwinds where everybody's trying to do more with less, organizations are pulling back funding or they're holding on to the cash that they raised in the last round. What advice do you have for our listeners on optimizing their success for the remainder of this year? I think it's um, it's probably more simple than uh, well, I'm going to make it sound more simple than it is. And that would be first and foremost, to listen to your customers. If there's anything else that I've learned in the last couple of years, really the last like five to 10 years of my career. It's that your customers will tell you what you are not doing well. They'll tell you what you're doing well. So you got to ask the right questions. And so I think keeping a, a very clear pulse on your customers, everyone wants to listen to the market. What's the market saying? What's, you know, mm-hmm. CNBC put up this morning and okay, those are perhaps indicators of what may or may not happen far down the road. And by far, I mean like that could be hours away, but what's happening right now in your organization, your customers will give you feedback on. If you're a leader, marketing, sales, CS, CEO, CTO, whoever, you should be meeting with your customers every single week. And you should supplement that with partnerships. If you don't have a partnerships mechanism in your business, you're missing out. Now, I'm preaching to the choir with you. I know we're on the same page. There's a lot of leaders I've talked to that are saying, are partnerships the way of the future? I think inbound, think outbound. You've heard folks use the term nearbound. I don't think it's a word. I think it's the way people want to buy. I can appreciate terminology to be clear, but I think what's happened and what I've observed is that people have become more educated. They've had more access to information. They've had more access to each other. And through that shift in the way buyer's behavior has evolved, it's more important than ever that we actually specifically listen to them and not try and do the, you will buy, you should use, et cetera. I think the way that you win in 2023, you know, and a half through the kind of end of the 2030s would be my guess. It's probably like a seven to 10 year journey here. You invest in the businesses that are already close to your customer. It certainly is partnerships. 
you listen to those customers and through that listening, look for ways to adapt and evolve and overcome and try and really enable the best possible outcomes, the best possible experience and ROI and value for those customers, staying close to the problems they have, obviously, and engaging with the businesses that are already around them, helping to solve and provide solutions. Yeah. I love what you have to say. And we could go on about why that's so important, like the surround of the customer yeah. and the trust and the five seats at the table, as Jay McBain likes to talk about, right? Because it isn't just one person influencing. It's, it's how we organize around solving for the customer and being part of that conversation, helping to drive that mutual success or the, that set of outcomes that the customer wants is just so critical. So it's brilliant. Yep. Super excited to have you, Barrett, and to continue our friendship. Thanks so much for joining today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been fun. I look forward to our next conversation. Take care. Same here. And we know what we're going to talk about next time. (laughs) All the things. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.